Thank you for tuning in to another Wild World of L podcast. As you know, I'm the host of L Miller. Today I bring to you a good friend of mine, Corey Webster. Corey Webster and I served in the United States Army as military police officers. Uh, if you hear me call him Calvert, um, that is due to what his name was when we was in the service. Uh, when he separated from the service, he changed his last name for personal reasons. Uh, so if I, if you hear me say Calvert, it's the same person. Um, and we will be discussing um, transitioning in and out of the Army, um, the VA health care, and possibly some other things as well. Um, thank you guys for checking out the podcast. Remember, like, comment, subscribe, and I hope you enjoy the pod. Sorry, guys. Yes, I'm here with uh, Corey Webster. It's like I told you at the top. I may end up calling him Calvert a lot because that's what I knew him as as we served in the United States uh, Army together. So just starting off, so Calvert, why don't you introduce yourself to the crowd? Yeah, like you said, uh, my name is Corey Webster. Uh, most of my, my military people still know me as Calvert, still call me Calvert. I still answer to it, but uh, yeah, like like Bell said, we served in the Army together. You know, I was in for about four and a half years uh military police and then i ended up getting uh, medically separated and here we are yeah so me and him if you guys don't know and i recommend that you don't visit there because uh we had the power of google so you can just look it up we were in fort polk louisiana uh it's a very terrible place to be at especially for your one and only duty station while you was serving uh in there so what we're going to be talking about today is pretty much about the transitioning out. Uh, of course, being in their stuff is good and bad or whatever. But like Calvert said, he was uh, medically discharged from the service, which is separate from medical retirement. Medical retirement, he'd have been able to get paid, got a gain and rank and everything else. But he got medically separated, uh, which is still an honorable discharge. Uh, but he had to fight through the VA. Uh, to get his uh, benefits to where they should be. Uh, so, uh, so Calvert, how would you say uh, your preparation was? Because, like, so from the time you started your medical separation to the time you got out, how long was that? Uh, well, before I even went to Korea, um that process was supposed to be started. Um, but you know, you got to go see all these doctors in the military and get referred and, and go through all these separate channels. So by the time I actually started the, the initial process would have been in Korea. Um, so I probably, you know, went through tests and referrals and all this stuff for probably about three or four months in Korea. And then, I transitioned to a WTU, which is a warrior transition unit uh, back in the States in Kentucky. Uh, and that's where I, I started, you know, physically the MEB process, which is medical evaluation board uh, to get to get medically separated. So I'd say the whole. 
the whole thing was probably around, you know, six, seven months. Uh, but I was in the WTU for about four months going through um, the actual process. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that those other, I mean, I guess if you want to consider them duty stations, because, well, definitely at Campbell, you didn't, uh, you didn't do your, do our job, per se. And you got to kind of, I guess, I think chill in Korea. Because like I said, I even forgot that you even went to Korea. But, uh, which is leadership in the most, well, so what do you think impacted why it took so long? Because like, you know, we both had our different issues uh, at Polk um, in regards of why we ended up both transfer or getting separated. Mine was different than yours, even though mine should have been uh, medical, which is stuff I'm still dealing with now. Uh, what do you think? Do you think the fact that, which is a lot of guys don't know this, um, and of course there's a lot of OPSEC stuff we're supposed to be worried about anyway, but our unit was this. So do you think our unit being disbanded was a, or people knowing it was going to be disbanded, was a cause on why you were even sent to Korea in the first place versus getting sent to WTU at Polk? Well, before I answer that, I'd like to preface it by saying to anyone who's thinking about joining the military and who's in the military or just in any phase of life at all. It took me a long time to learn this. So if it helps one person, great. If not, you know, it's lip service. But uh, just, you know, putting your physical and mental health first is so important, man. Obviously, I came in the military, you know, um, high-speed soldier, you know, on the come up doing everything I could do, you know, trying to, to be the best, you know, getting those high PT scores, you know, carrying the guide on, you know, expert weapon qual, doing everything you can, man. And I initially got my back injury in June of 2012. And that was only about a year in to the military. I did about four and a half years. But like I said, you know, you're striving to do your best. You set an example for other soldiers and not to brag at all, but, you know, I was, I was getting these high PT scores, you know, I was getting recognition, you know, people were looking up to me, you know, being the distinguished honor grad out of three, 400 soldiers at, uh, different things. And, and you put your body and your mental aside because you want to strive to do the best and be the best for other people, not even for yourself. So I honestly think that I, I got to take some blame in the process as well, especially the initial not going to Korea or going to Korea because I think I could have done more to fight for my personal health and whatnot. But as far as what led to it, I just think that, you know, not to call anyone out personally, but leadership played a big role in it, you know? Um, yeah. I think that the chaos of us getting disbanded and, you know, different people having different feelings about injuries just as a whole and things like that definitely played a role in what I feel like could have been a much better process. You know, to, to double down on that. So I haven't told anybody this in the other podcast or other podcast because I was looking for – 
something like this is what you have to talk to somebody else who was um, not even necessarily somebody that you serve with, but somebody who uh, somebody who understands uh, because they were in the military service and they seen things go different ways or not. So I was chaptered under a heightened weight failure. The so what people didn't know, well, my unit did know. My unit knew I injured my knee uh, when I was originally at airborne school in June of 2012, same time he injured his back, but we're at different locations. We didn't even know each other at this point. And so when I injured my knee during jump school, I was at that point right away, I was told the same thing. I was told, man, hey, just soldier on, go ahead and uh, just get uh, recycled and everything will be good to go. And I'm like, dude, I've jacked my knee up already on tower week. There's no way that I'm going to go ahead and go through with jump week the next week, you know? And so I did that. Um, but whatever I did it, I didn't go through the whole process of getting my knee and stuff looked at. So I ended up doing the same thing. Calver said, when I got to my unit, um, leadership was already pr- uh, pushing me for uh, waivers to uh, gain rank and things like that. Uh, Cause of PT scores, weapon quals and, and uh, the whole nine. Um, and then I ended up failing tape even though, uh, and I invite everybody to do this because I don't have a private Facebook. If you go to my Facebook, you can see, or my Instagram, you can see what I looked like uh, back then. And you can make your own uh, determinations if you thought I was overweight or not. Uh, So I ended up, I was in longer than what would people be expected because one, my PT score was high, weapon qual. Stuff that I'm shooting expert uh, in multiple weapon systems uh, and the leadership because of that higher than my direct chain was kind of like okay he's doing what his due diligence was uh, when our unit got deployed and we was on a rear D pause but anyway when we was on rear D we got uh, a new chain of command at the brigade level uh, so the whole time when my knee was injured and they was looking at the stuff that's going on with my knee, uh, while I was on profile, I was still going out, giving my best effort for the PT scores, even though I was on a, a pretty much a walking profile, not supposed to lift heavy things and do all this extra stuff. I didn't care. I did it anyway, uh, which is probably why my knee ended up getting worse. However, uh, my physical therapist and everything were telling me that – I should have not pushed my uh, legs and stuff to that limit because of the injuries, and I was just making them worse. Um, So they ended up actually trying to send up a packet uh, uh, recommending me for chapter because of my knee. Uh, But then when it got up to brigade, it actually got sent back down because it was like, this guy's also flagged for weight. I'd much rather him get out being flagged for weight uh, versus his knee being fixed. And also something that, like Albert said, to do more, what I should have pushed more on is when you're going through the chapter process like myself, um, because it's still honorable discharge. However, uh, it's not something, it's not voluntary. It's not like a family care plan. Like if you had family issues, it's not a medical uh, discharge. Like in Calvary's situation, you have to go speak to a lawyer about your chapter and your rights. Well, what ended up happening is 
he ended up having me do the water table test and calipers. So if you guys look up, and the regs may have changed since then, but when you looked it up at that point in time, they were a substitute for the uh, the regular weigh-in tape that we were doing, and I passed it. Uh, so after I passed it, I was asked that I want to keep pushing on on trying to uh, get my chapter reversed and whatever and stay in the military. The reason why I did not is because it was told to me very clearly that even though that this was a alternative to the waiting tape, it's not official. So my flag would still be there and I would be in the service the entire time. So that means that I would have had soldiers I was helping maintain goals and achieve different things. Hopefully that doesn't show up, but it probably does. But if y'all heard that loud beep, but anyway, I had goals that I aspired to do while I was helping the other soldiers achieve their goals. I would have remained flagged and I wouldn't have gained rank and I would have been ineligible for reenlistment unless I went back under uh, the uh, certain percentage I had to be on the regular way and tape. Uh, so me not pushing, which is, you know, you look at something on a small sample size, if I would have chose uh, myself to say, hey, I'm gonna be a martyr and I'm going to go out on my shield and try to get the Army's weight and tape policies changed, you know, it may have worked or it may not have worked, but I could have probably helped other soldiers in the same situation, like myself, who shouldn't have been, in my opinion, on the program and just did whatever I had to do and stayed in longer. Uh, but the fact that backlash I was receiving from leadership um, that, you know, just defamatory comments that were made about me that I found out uh, because I had this one issue, but they weren't looking at the other issues I was not, not issues, but the great things I was doing was causing problems. Uh, so uh, pretty much like uh, Calvert was saying, it's a benefit to everybody. Um, like I said, in the military, out in the civilian world to focus on your own mental and physical health and do the things you need to do uh, to make your yourself better. Because at the end of the day, you have to always realize they can go out and go get someone else. You know, there's people signing up to join the military every day. Every job you apply for, there's hundreds of millions of people applying for those jobs too. So um, you have to focus on yourself. I didn't mean to go on this long tangent, but like I said, you have to focus on yourself um, because you can only control yourself and not what other people um, are doing. Uh, do you have anything to you want to additionally add to that? Oh, uh, yeah. I think that, like, you know, thinking of it as a small sample size, um, I mean, let's just take my life. I'm about to be 27, you know, four and a half years, and in the lifespan of a 27-year-old doesn't seem like a lot, but in this particular situation – those four and a half years to this point, and I, you know, pray otherwise, but it seems to be for the rest of my life, you know, I'm going to be affected by it. You know, back pain, a lot of people got back pain, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to downgrade it or uplift it to be whatever it is or isn't. Everyone deals with pain differently, but I personally know I wake up every day, you know, my back hurts. Um, 
I'm physically and emotionally, you know, mentally affected by it for life. Like I said, like I pray not, but we'll see. But um, I mean, just the other day, I, I sneezed and threw my back out, like <laughs> just doing stuff like that. And the small sample size that you take that this occurred in being the military can affect or might affect my whole life. So my point is things can be done or taken in small sample sizes, but at the end of the day, you got to put yourself first. You talk about the leadership and, you know, thinking about one of your injuries and not the other and could they be connected or whatnot when you're in the military for me anyway, you know, I, I went in straight out of high school two weeks after graduation, you know, you're 18, you're lonely, you got nobody. You come in, you meet your leadership and, you know, you get close to them and, and they're almost, you know, like your parents, they're like your dad, you know, you don't want to disappoint them. So, you know, they tell you to suck it up, you know, you push through it, whether it be for you, for them, for other people, for your family. But point is at the end of the day, you got to put yourself first, no matter what is going on, no matter what you think other people might feel or how it might affect them, you got to put yourself first. Uh, with the age thing that you just brought up, um, and eventually, like I said, we'll get back to the uh, the transition and possibly the VA things if we're able to cover this all today. Um, when, like, you joined, I'm 29, like I say, 27. I joined at 21 years old. Um, I had knew, I knew I was wanting to join the service, uh, but at the time, like right after high school, uh, I was like, oh, I got to lose a little bit of weight, which is no problem. But I was also working this great job. So when I was working this, well, I'm not a, well, yeah, I'll leave it as great uh, because I was getting paid every week, uh, minimum wage at the time in, in my, uh, in my city was 515 or 525 an hour. I was making, I'm working at this barbecue joint, and I'm I'm making uh, $14 an hour, and the minimum wage. Like, I mean, to kind of put it in retrospect, I'm making 17 something now, and the minimum wage is you know just went up a little bit. But if you look at it, I'm making 17 something now, almost eight years, or actually high school, right out of high school, you know almost 10 years ago, uh, I was making $3 less. So if I say that, if something happened, I say to that job, I'd be making more money. Uh, do you believe, to get to my point, do you believe the service, uh, just like how local law enforcement does, uh, should the age of entry be 18? Because you discussed um, right after high school, and you had some other stuff going on as well. If you want to talk about it, I'll let you talk about it. But um, right out of high school, you joined, um, didn't really, besides the thought of you signing up early, didn't really give it, I guess, uh, additional, well, you didn't have time to give it additional thought um, afterwards. Uh, do you do you believe that's a good age for people to be able to join the service? Uh, I think that... 18 is, you know, a fine age to join a service. I think that everyone should do themselves a service and educate themselves on different stuff. My whole family was in the service. 
my grandparents were in the army. My my sperm donor, which I call him that, he's not my dad. He was in the army. My dad currently was in the army. Both my brother and sister were in the air force. So my whole family's been in the service and going through school. You know, I had straight A's. You know, I had scholarships to go to college. You know, I wrestled. I did all these things, and I hated school, man. Like it wasn't nothing to get straight A's, but I hated school. So I was like, okay, cool. Everyone else did. I'll join the service. You know, I'll do my part. So I didn't really educate myself on really anything. So I kind of went went into a blind. So definitely don't recommend that. Do your homework and, you know, pray about it and, and make a an educated decision based on what you want for your life. But, like, I can't say that I got good things out of the military. Like I said, I had, you know, scholarships. Well, not to go to college, hated school, went to the Army, got out of the Army. Uh, I got one week of classes left, and I'll have my bachelor's degree paid for by the Army, and I'll be done, you know. So, so there are good things about it. I actually call it petty, call it whatever you want. I don't like to talk to people that ask me about whether they should go into the military or not. I tell them kind of exactly what I just said, you know, educate yourself and, and feel good about the decision you make because I had such a, an experience, you know, I had good times, don't get me wrong, but I have a lot of physical pain, you know, I have a lot of things that happen because of and through the army. So I don't really like to, you know, put that out there to, to Joe Blow to ask me about the military because I don't want to deter them from, you know, making what could be a great career for them. So as far as age-wise, I think as long as you educate yourself and, you know, you can live with the decision and go for it. Yeah, there's uh, this guy that I currently work with now. Um, he joined at 17. Uh, he was a combat engineer. And like he said, because of him not getting the uh, – the research or whatever I think about the other jobs, he didn't prepare himself for the civilian world. Uh, like me in Calvert, for example, we were military police. That's not what his degree field is in. That's what mine is in. Uh, criminal justice, I'm, as I'm, uh, I'm referring to. Uh, so we, when we separated, if we chose to, we had a skill set that worked doing you know security law enforcement uh investigations you name it all on that side that's what you're trained to do um and that's what you're prepared to do um when you get out other people don't have that option so uh always think about that my brother joined his infantry because he was he just things that was going on in his life at this time he was like okay if i do this it makes this it's got this sign in bonus which is something I would definitely not say for anybody. Like just because something has a big signing bonus, it's a reason why it has a big signing bonus. Right. So you probably uh, need to think about that. Uh, but like my brother in his situation needed a big signing bonus. Uh, one of the shortest one is available to ship out, stuff like that. Um, and so he was infantry in the army. He's seven and a half years older than me. And he, you know, he gained right fast because they need uh, leaders in those positions. But when he got out, he went back to doing security like he did before he even joined. So he didn't have a skill set whenever he got out uh, that he could be really useful on the civilian side, like immediately right away. Uh, but 
I like I said, I still deal with uh like uh Cal was saying, I was I still deal with injuries um that plague me and stuff now. Uh stuff like in regarding to uh like weight issues as I'm figuring out now, possibly having additional surgeries for uh, I already had one last year. I'm having to have another one here possibly by the end of the year, and then I still have to have another one uh, because I'm just now finally getting the health, and I separated in 2014. So you, you realize that's a five-year gap. That's a problem. Yeah, it's um, a process. Yeah, it's a process to to get this stuff for people to actually realize that there's uh, stuff that's going on. Uh, so, like I said, we had our initial skill set. Do you want to talk about um, is the reason why, and I think we have talked about this before offline before, but it was the reason why you decided not to pursue um, a criminal justice field based off of your experience in the military in a negative light, or is it because you just decided you wanted to do something else? Uh, so yeah, my degree that I said, like I said, I'll be finishing up in about a week is in finance. Um, as far as pursuing a degree or a career path in law enforcement, like I did in the military, like you said, we learned all those, those skill sets and and had those things that we could use coming out. Um, honestly, it just came down to my physical health, um, being able to, let's just say I was a cop. Uh, these are just things I thought about if I were to be working the road, you know, or having a partner going into, you know, certain situations, um, would my physical health, meaning my back, hold up enough for me to be confident that in a high-risk situation, my body would let me be what I need to be for my partner? So in other words, if we get into a situation where, whether we got to chase somebody, you know, fill in the blank, would my back let me be physically prepared to take on whatever it may be in order to potentially save or risk my partner's life? And I didn't really feel like taking that risk, which we can even take back to, you talked about when our unit got deployed, I was one of the ones that was supposed to go. And this was one of the first times I actually kind of stepped up and used the voice. You know, I told Sergeant Martinez at the time, I was like, you know, I'm down to go, but this worry is in my head, you know, especially downrange, even more than, you know, working the road as a civilian cop. You are not the only one that matters. So I told him, I do not feel confident in my body to put myself out there and potentially cost someone their life. So that's really what it came down to. Yeah, uh, and these unfortunate things. It was as good as it's recognized, and it's important enough to you because there's other people who would go out there um, and do it anyway if they felt like they couldn't uh, achieve. You know, you couldn't achieve certain things you wanted to in your life, but you're like, I'm gonna do it anyway, and then you risk uh, getting somebody else hurt when. So if we, looking back at it, so when you got out, right, so you was able to get, which is good, you got ETS, or you got, you know, so you got paid for those 
X amount of months uh, getting out. And like I said, we've talked about this a lot offline, but these are things that I believe a lot of people uh, need to, if you're separating and you're in the service, um, the support system rather, and I'm not talking about your direct family. Um, so when you go through, let's start from the ACAP process for you. Uh, like I said, you joined, you joined at 18, or you advise everybody, you joined at 18, I joined at 21. So when I joined at 21, I already had, I was living with a roommate. Even if I didn't have a roommate, I could pay everything by myself. Um, and so I already knew, and I wasn't married when I was out, but I had an idea, you know, I was married by the time I got out, but I already had an idea of what I need to do in regards of, you know, housing, find jobs, other resources that I need. I already knew what I needed to do because of the fact, and plus mine was more abrupt. I didn't get to um, get a check for a couple of days. They just, I mean, a couple of months, they wanted to just give me all one lump sum that still took a couple of months to give me anyway. So they should have just paid me out in a couple of months anyway. So what do you think the support system was like? Or do you speak from your experience? What was your support system from ACAP? Um, and then if veteran services or leadership or anybody else that helped you to understand what you needed to do once you separated? I think for my personal situation, I might have been more fortunate than other people just because I did go to that WTU and that is literally nothing but getting you through the, the MEB process and getting ready to transition to the civilian world. So even stuff like PT, you know, every, every morning in big army, you wake up and you do PT. Well, PT for us was things like you could even say kind of like physical therapy and things like that, that we're supposed to try to help whatever was going on. So that was going on while, you know, going through all this paperwork and, and seeing all these, these doctors and whatnot. So as far as setting you up to get out, I think my personal experience might've been better than other people's just because I was in that WTU. And again, it just comes down to educating yourself. You know, you don't really know how long that process is going to take. It could take three or four months. It could take over a year. But I had a plan. I knew, you know, where I was coming back to, you know, trying to get jobs lined up before that even happened, you know, getting enrolled in school and, and things like that. So I think that if anyone experienced something worse than I did or even better than I did at the end of the day, again, I think it comes down to educating yourself both through the process to know what to do, which I obviously made mistakes. If I could do it again, I'd do it way more different. But also when you do get out, you know, making the right steps to to set up the rest of your life pretty much. Did you know um like so like you said, since you was part of WTU, did the WTU educate you enough on how to use the the VA for help in regards of uh, like, did they let you know where your regional office is in the uh, in the state that you were at, or a couple of them at least? Uh, well, I guess it was regional office, not a couple of them, but 
where your regional office is, where main hospitals are, or clinics, uh, did they do anything like that for you in regards to setting your uh, My Health event out or anything like that? Yeah, so that was kind of part of the process towards the end was setting up those those logins and, and getting access to those resources. And it's kind of on you whether you utilize them or not. But, uh, yeah, they let me know where the regional office was, which in Ohio is in Cleveland, and then um, where your PCP was going to be, um, which is a primary care provider, for those that might not know, which mine is in Columbus. Um, so, yeah, I think they did a good job for me personally, as far as setting up those resources for me to either use or not use. Yeah, that, um, me, like I said, my situation was different than his. He was helped along the line. I knew, um, like I said, it goes back to knowing what's in your area because of where I was moving to and things like that. I knew where the regional office was pretty much uh, because I knew I was coming back to Nashville and lived there my whole life, so I already knew where it was. Um, it wasn't until, like, let's say my first final different days of uh, ACAP, they – so to let people know, depending on where you're at, and I'm sure they all do this the same, uh, in the ACAP process where you're getting out, it's pretty much like low class how to sell yourself through interviews, what things to say or not say compared to, you know, if you, if you serve, you obviously know it's the wild west on how people talk um, and how they do things. Right. And depending on what you do or do not say, um, people may or may not decide to pull rank on the civilian side. You obviously you'll learn real quick. You can't do that. So they did cover a lot of those different steps uh, for me. I myself um, fighting for like so what's in in my opinion what sucks for like somebody like uh, Calvert when he was getting out when you're uh, medically chaptered at the service they only focus on the injury that you have not the other ones that you sustain uh, from what I understand so a person like him when he got out he was only rated for his back um surveying at the time you realize it's more than your back that is going to have issues so he had to go back and fight to get his other percentages uh me because of them not doing what they should have done um in regards to myself if they decided they wanted me out the service i had to go fight and get all my paperwork all my imaging all my uh lab reports medical reports, you name it, I had to gain all that stuff by myself and then present it uh, to the VA. Uh, so like pretty much like whenever he got out, he would have gotten a rating. I had to wait eight months for mine, which is eight months is a whole lot better than what it used to be when it used to take like three or five years um, to get your ratings. But as in seems now, uh, myself, I've helped people along the way that has gone through the process even vets that have got out the service in the early 2000s on how to um, set up the logins that they didn't know exist so I will say this and throw that out there so all the other vets who are listening to this that are older if you don't know how to get the logins or you don't know who to talk to or stuff like that 
Uh, you can contact me uh, through many of my social media channels, oh, or uh, which is I will highlight at the end of the pod. Well, actually, I'll do it now and do it at the end. It's at 37mode on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Or you can just look at my name, LaBelle Miller, uh, and the 37mode for people to know to note, make it simple. It's the word 30, the number seven, and the word mode. Um, and then I'll be definitely willing to help people uh, with that, those whole processes of doing things like that. If we have a little bit of more time left uh, here with Coward, I want to take all this time. Uh, if we want to quickly talk about the VA healthcare for a second, um, well, it'll be more in a second. We'll end up recapping it at a different point because I believe there's something much more worth talking about. How you live about an hour away from your nearest VA facility. Do you have any clinics that are near you? Um, yeah, real quick before I answer that, I just want to go back to you talking about people setting setting up those those resources, those logins, you know, getting the VA started, whether they went through a medical evaluation or not. So whether they have something coming out or not, that's where the journey really starts. First off, getting the mindset that it's okay to do that because initially I was like, yeah, you know, I got back pain, you know, I, ankles, you know, I got these things going on, but that's nothing compared to a lot of these other people. So I was like, do I even need to waste the VA's time when someone else who's in much more need needs to take my slot? Big picture, just do it. Get out of your head and just do it and do it now because like you said, it's a long process. So whether it's 10% or a hundred percent, just go and see what they can do for you to help better your physical and mental. And now when it comes to VA, as far as where I'm at, yeah, my PCP is in Columbus. Um, to my knowledge, there is a clinic in Newark and Mansfield, which are both about 45 minutes away. So it's about 15 minutes closer to those. But also to my understanding, it isn't the same facilities nor would it be the same level of care i actually need to get with the va and figure out kind of in writing or or just kind of broke down barney style what and where i can actually go because you know when you have an emergency or you got something going on you gotta drive an hour just to get to the place that you're supposed to go to be seen not to mention the weight that is going to be there and i actually went through a situation about a year and a half ago where something happened that was so bad I couldn't make it. I had to go to the ER here in town and I had, you know, three, $4,000 in medical bills and the VA fought me for almost a year on it. They would not pay it. It almost went to collections, but I finally fought it. I finally got it. So yeah, I believe there's a couple of clinics closer to me, but I'd have to get verification on whether I can even go there and get the same treatments and stuff. Well, that's not even, I mean, like you said, if you're talking about what what really, what does 15 <laughs> minutes really mean if we're talking about better health care, right. if I just drive an additional 15 minutes, you know, you might as well drive an additional 15 minutes uh, in the town. And so, like you said, like he lives like an hour away from Columbus, you know, not, it, not giving away his location. I like I live in the capital. You know, it doesn't really matter. In Tennessee, I live here in Nashville. We have 
uh, which is like I've discussed with him before and I've talked to other people, we have uh, not only a main hospital here, we have like four or five clinics in Nashville, uh, plus um, a location in Murfreesboro, which is where, I, from where I actually live in Nashville, is 30 minutes each way to each either, um, the other hospital. And then they have resources that they don't have at the main one down in Murfreesboro. So I'm blessed in a situation to where I could commute back and forth between the hospitals on different days and set up appointments of whoever's best available at whatever hospital and or clinic and be fine. In a situation like him, he cannot. Um, and then there's uh, there's things that are not really clear. Um, like he said, in regards of this thing called the Veteran Choice Program that are supposed to be when you're in a situation like him, you are able to go to other locations and it be covered and not have to do the song and dance for over a year before the VA finally decides to step in and do the right thing. Yeah, which is a and, great resource yeah. when it's used, utilized correctly. The Veteran Choice Program, if people don't know about that, you you call yeah. the VA and you know you tell them where you at and tell them what treatments you need and if it can get approved you might be able to go to something closer or you know like a a doctor you might know like I said it has to be approved by the VA but yeah when when it's approved and and it's correctly utilized the Veterans Choice Program is is a good thing and it's a whole lot sooner as well too because what people don't know uh, the VA is required to see you within thirty days of you asking for an appointment if they can't see you within 30 days then that's how you can use a veteran choice program if you're a person like me who lives where you have all these resources nearby uh, a person like him he should be able to call and be like hey i'm x you know i'm over an hour away i need something quickly in town i just might have a i think i might have pneumonia or something like that and get it taken care of uh but Going back to a point he made earlier, too, about, like, knowing what you got to do to get taken care of. I tell people all the time, I'm not going to give my percentages away because that can cause issues with a lot of people. But so you're graded, obviously, off of disabilities that they figure out that you do have that you are tested for. And I do tell people all the time, my so my brother did two tours in Iraq been blown up many times because he was infantry was shot had his uh quadricep tear off the bone uh because of being malnutrition um during one of their year-long deployments out there um had to get all that fixed jumped out you know he was airborne he, he one time when he was in alaska they jumped out um, he had a hole in his chute and a hole in his reserve um shattered almost everything on the right side of his body up until this past year my rating was higher than his and that's a problem, you know, and I tell people all the time, I know there's people that are more jacked up than me. My, and the reason why I won't give my rating away is because your rating also has to do with your compensation that you receive. I've told people this uh, many times. The important thing to me when I knew I was getting out, I knew I had all these injuries and I'll circle back and make sure I cover that for you all about, what the importance is when you know you're getting out about the injuries is I knew I wanted to be taken care of for stuff that happened to me while I was in the service. It was never about the money amount. 
because you can Google that and see how much you want and want to fight tooth and nail. And if you don't have the records to prove it, you're not going to get it. My whole thing was getting the health care that I needed for what happened to me while I was in the service or what was discovered while I was in the service. That could have been a negligent part that happened to either because of myself that I did or something I was exposed to while I was serving. Um, so, but what I was going to tell everybody is when I was in the process of getting out, like I knew I was going to get out, I started going to the aid station for little things. And it may seem petty, but the thing about it is, like I said, is having that stuff that's on your medical record is important that if issues arise on you later on in life and you need to use the VA if you so choose to, they can say, hey, this person had this issue at this point in time. Okay, we can look at it. He actually had this issue. He's not making it up. Uh, my wife, she was a service member as well. She had medical issues. Um, she blacked out when she was pregnant with our oldest daughter. And they had had an emergency C-section to take the baby. Um, she will not go to the VA for her own reasons um, in regards of just advising it so it's written down. Um, I've addressed that with her that she should have done it because something happens down the line, which is there are the, the issues that I'm not going to get into that has happened to her that could have been stemming from that or other things that they should have noticed um, when she was pregnant with our other children um, that we should have been able to check as well. But she decided not to go that path. So I say all that to say, um, choose to use them, not use them. It's your choice. But if you know that you may end up using them at some point in life, go ahead and do your due diligence to help yourself by going to the aid stations when something happens to you, by going to um, the ER if you need to while you're in the service. Um, get all those all the medical records you need. That way, when something happens for you, like I said, it doesn't matter if it's today or 15, 20 years from now, you can be able to go back and say, man, you know, I tweaked my knee. I never got it checked out, but in, or not necessarily never checked out. I never said anything to the VA about it. And the VA goes in the medical record and says, oh, yeah, you had a torn meniscus back in 2019. Um, and it looks like this has been getting worse over the past 15 years we'll go ahead and take care of that surgery for you because it's, you know, if you don't have to pay for it, it's always better. Uh, and like I said, uh, Cabra was here graciously with his time. I know he has to, we're two different time zones. So he ended up, uh, I know he has to prepare to go to work in the AM and finish up his school stuff. Uh, did you want to have anything to add to that before, uh, we go ahead and close this out. Yeah, so just to reiterate the, you know, put stuff on paper point, essentially. And that's where I messed up because, like I said, even when I did finally start going for my back, that's kind of all it was. You know, I was just trying to get some relief and and hopefully, you know, continue on. But um, I should have been, you know, seeing from my headaches and from my ankle and and for all these different things that I didn't. Whereas now, some of those things aren't and can't be service connected because I didn't I didn't take the time to go through that. So there's a there's a fine line, you know. Do your thing, be a good a good soldier. Speaking of in the military, you know, 
be a good leader, do all these things, but take care of yourself at the end of the day. Like I started the whole pod with, you, you got to put your physical and your mental health first because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, that's what you got. I appreciate yeah. you having me. And, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then uh, my disclosure remarks is pretty much like how he said is you have to uh, putting yourself first is something, and not, like I said, not just in the service, just out in regular life, like you said at the beginning of the pod, something that you all have to do. Uh, so, like I said, in closing, you know, you know, Calvert, thanks for having a, 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 a wanting to be on the pod. I know it's kind of, it's always kind of rough and wonky with times that I know I have available to do these. Uh, he will definitely be on the pod more to discuss other different things. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's a martial arts fan, uh, like myself, uh, as weird as this is with the difference that we apart, I can figure out us to do like some type of fight companion, like Joe Rogan and stuff does try to work that out. If that doesn't work out, we definitely rehash some shows or talk about possible events and fights. So, uh, so Calvert, I don't know if you have, do you want to have anything that you want to, the plug to close the show out. I know you did race. The season is over, and now you got a truck now. Uh, so you may not have that racing team to plug anymore. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug or let people know how to get in contact with you? No, nah, I mean, I, I don't I don't really use a, lot, a whole lot of social media. You know, I got Facebook. I don't really do the whole Instagram and Twitter thing. Um, if you have any questions, whether it be VA, you know, military, um, college, school, life you know anything god you know i always got a an open ear and and i'll talk to you about it so you can always hit me up on my facebook you know which is Corey webster or uh i'm sure there's other other ways to get in contact with me and and like you said i'll be on on the pod more often so i'm just trying to do our part you know you know i'm saying like i said at the beginning if we can help one person um it's worth it oh yeah definitely definitely so like I said, guys, appreciate you guys for checking out the pod. Like, comment, subscribe. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at 37mode, the word 30, the number 7, the word mode. Um, like I said, on all social media platforms, uh, appreciate you guys for checking out the pod again. And this is how you become legendary. Greatness is earned. That's what it is. God is good. All right.